coming to you live from Jeremith Hill, the highest point in Rhode Island. This is Kitchen Table Spirituality, a weekly devotional. I'm here with the pastor who just finished his tour with Backstreet Boys, New Kids on the Block, and NSYNC all at the same time simultaneously, and now is retiring to be pastor at Pilgrim Congregational Church in Southboro, Massachusetts, Charlie Eastman. And I'm here with the only pastor called to be the chaplain for the Monsters of Metal Tour 17 years in a row, Jonathan Malone of East Greenwich, Rhode Island, First Baptist Church. That's that's my imitation of uh, metal guitar. Party on, Jonathan. Yeah, I, I will party on. And, and uh, full disclosure, I am not actually at Jeremy Hill. Um, I don't want people to think I'm recording at that place right now. Right. Well... I know you're not, but, that, yeah, but I appreciate no others, you telling them as well. Yeah. They, so yeah, the background noises are not the it's not the wind that's whipping through the exposed mound of Jeremy Hill. <laughs> I went. I've there. never been there. Where is it? It's uh, in Foster. I was Rhode so Island. sure you were going to say it's in Jeremy Hill. It's in Jeremy Hill. It's in Foster, Rhode Island, and okay. uh, so it's the highest natural point in Rhode Island because we uh, have, I was going to say yeah, we have some landfills that have surpassed. Mm-hmm. It is, and what's um, the elevation? Uh, Eight hundred thirteen feet, I think, around there. Wow. Yeah, it's underwhelming. So Rhode Island is pretty flat after all. But it's not the flattest. The lowest of the fifty states, the lowest Kansas. one. No, Kansas is actually higher. Oh, okay. But it's a slow grade to get up there. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Florida. Florida. Oh, Florida. Yeah, because that descends into the sea. Yeah, it descends in so mm-hmm. many ways into the sea, into the, well. <laughs> Florida is a fascinating place. <laughs> I I used to hate on Florida a lot, but it is it is just a fascinating swirl of humanity mm-hmm. and I and, and the other thing is I wouldn't live there, but I have fun every time I go there. There's it's a, an interesting place yeah, and the a, land in Florida is really well, intense. Charlie, there's a thousand mile trail, the Florida mm-hmm. Trail. We should mm-hmm. do it next week. Um well, th- this would be the right time of year to do it. Yeah, let's do it. It would actually feel okay to you and I, rather than in any other month when right. it becomes sweltering morass uh, of... Uh, that's that's the real reason I, I yeah. don't live in Florida. I can't hack it. It's just that humidity is oh, That's crushing. one of many, many reasons I don't live in Florida. I'll leave that on the table. Okay. Thank you. Let's leave it right there. I'm going to put it to the side of the table. I'm moving it over. Let, let's move from Florida to Rhode Island and have you tell me what's going on in East Greenwich oh, and Enverance. Some some wonderful things are happening in East Greenwich, Rhode Island, at the First Baptist Church. Uh, we had a great uh, great time yesterday, uh, Sunday with uh, people dropping off food after church. So thank you everyone for doing that. Uh, we, it really was an overwhelming collection. And Jane Gaudette made some of the best desserts I've ever had in my life. I I know a bakery called Gaudette's. Is she she's French associated with that bakery? I I don't know. I'll ask okay. her. I hear that name, and I think good food, so but, obviously oh, there's yeah, some kind she, of synergy there. She made zeppelas, she made eclairs, Ooh. she made fruit tarts, she had uh, macaroons, she had gluten-free chocolate tart kind of things. It was amazing. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, so, what was her inspiration for this? Was uh, she was to... collecting more recipes for our church cookbook. Oh, wow. So nice. you could still say one or two, but I think we're about done collecting those. But mm-hmm. thank you, everyone, who drove up for that collection. We have our Ash Wednesday service this Wednesday at uh, at 7 o'clock. So that's the 17th at probably the same time this is going out, unless I get it out early. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Lent starts the 21st. 
And throughout Lent, I'm giving people, if they'd like, tasks they can do and journal about or just reflect on. Ooh, different like tasks it. that connect with the scriptures. So for this week, uh, this week into next week, a little Wednesday to Wednesday thing, write down 35 things that are blessings in your life. Did and you say 35? Yes. And, hold on, 35 things that cause you to worry or create anxiety in your life. Wow. And you may be wondering, why 35? It's a very specific number. Well, you'll mm-hmm. find out on Sunday. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. How are things at Pilgrim Congregational Church? Well, I got 35 problems and Pilgrim Congregational Church ain't one. <laughs> nice. Um, Very nice. Things are, things are good. Uh, we, are, we are preparing also for Ash Wednesday service at 7.30 on Zoom. So please uh, observe that link from Debbie and uh, join the, join the uh, service. And uh, then we've got our... Um, our uh, Ash Wednesday, sorry, I already said Ash Wednesday. We've got our mm. Lenten series, Covenants, mm-hmm. beginning a week after that. So Ash Wednesday on the 17th, and then Covenant series on the 24th. That's at 1230 and 7.30 every Wednesday for six weeks. You come to one or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are going to talk about our covenants with God. It's going to be a small worship service as a part of that experience. And every week we're going to be celebrating a resource that helps us understand our covenants better. Sometimes it's books, sometimes it's movies, sometimes there'll be nice. time for shared prayer, for discussion. I'm really looking forward to these sessions with everybody. That's great. Um, we had a peace parade on uh, Saturday. How'd it go? Uh, thank you to Freddie Gillespie and others who went. Well, it went, but I wasn't on it. Oh, no. What because happened? I learned when I dropped my minivan off for its oil change that the entire suspension system was completely shot. So my van... 10 years old, was mm. in the shop for oh. 30 hours with a $2,500 bill. Um, oh, geez. And uh, it was not a planned expense, but I'm grateful for everybody else who was able to motor around Southboro and Marlboro and celebrate first responders, grocery workers, fire, police, the hospital in Marlboro, everybody who has contributed to our success in this time of COVID. So thank That's you to great. everybody who participated in that. Sounds like everyone was really animated about this parade that there was a lot of excitement and energy yeah definitely aside from you your animation unfortunately was suspended it was (laughs) i knew that i knew that was coming but even as i watched it unfold like a slow motion train wreck (laughs) you couldn't you couldn't get out of the way there was no sunday of course i did get to church because the van was healed and i uh i had this experience of ask me anything ask the pastor anything and it was something else. Mm-hmm. And the we're feedback gonna... was overwhelming. Oh, that, it was yeah. really nice. We're going to talk about... I have one more announcement I forgot. And oh, then, please and do. And then we'll get started. You were setting up such a beautiful segue, Segway. too. But no. I have no. This hey. Saturday... No. <laughs> this Saturday is the 20th. We're having our pancake supper virtual. Uh, so we'll be on Zoom. And uh, at 5 o'clock, Allison Burke... and and. Charlie, you don't know this, but Allison, I think, is seven or eight. Maybe she's Mm -hmm. ten by now. I don't know. Um, But she'll be teaching us how to make pancakes. um, And then we'll be sharing our pancakes at 530 and then playing some online games at six. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, so looking forward to that. So uh, you had asked the pastor Sunday. Mm -hmm. I had asked the pastor Sunday. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm curious. And I think we're going to continue it all the way through Lent, because I didn't get to even close to as many. I pre-recorded mine, Ah, right. because we are not worshiping in person yet. Right. And as I did my recording, 
I I finished it all, and I was at the 78-minute mark. Mm. So I had to do some judicious cutting. I did not answer every question, yeah. but I made a promise. And my promise was, throughout Lent, every Sunday until I'm done answering the questions, we will have an Ask the Pastor Anything moment oh, built nice. into the service. So just to just to finish the backlog, and then we'll reset the clock for next year. All right. Well, let's let's hear about some of those questions. So that's today's episode, folks. We're going to yeah. be asking each other everything and getting each other's answers. Everything. So everything. this is going to so, be at least. I would say a good four hours. No, no, we're going to keep it to our usual time. But oh, here's, okay, okay. Here's one from um, from a parishioner who asked, "What ki- this is one question I didn't get to, and then I'll ask mm. one that I did get to. What contribution, if any, have the Gnostic Gospels, in particular the Gospel of Thomas? Oh, it's always Thomas. Offered toward our further understanding of Jesus and his message. And go. And go. But it's always Thomas. No one wants to bring up the shepherd Hermes or the apocalypse of Peter. Well, Thomas is the one I believe that is the most widely available because it was a popular paperback, the Gospel of Thomas, who was released and was eaten up at a certain time by a number of folks. And it's just, it's the one most readily available, I think. I I think part of the controversy with the Gospel of Thomas is around when was it written? Mm-hmm. Uh, because there is this prevailing idea, and I hold to it as well, that the older a, a document is, the more credible it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that makes sense to a degree. I mean, you could quibble at certain points, but I think that makes sense. And so there are some scholars that have suggested that Thomas was written before the Gospel of John. Yeah. Uh, and if that is the case, then it's more of a reliable historical witness. The majority of scholars, and these are reputable scholars that would argue this, um, the majority of scholars would say that Thomas was actually written after the Gospel of John. So it's so removed from, um, yeah. from the life of Jesus that it loses its credibility. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. I think part of what Thomas does, I would say not just Thomas, but yeah, the Gnostic Gospels, is they give us a sense of how far we can go. Uh, there's a reason why... They didn't make it into the canon. There's a number of reasons. Uh, part of it is, uh, you know, part of it is political, sure. Um, I also ascribe to the belief that the Holy Spirit was certainly a part of the formation of the canon, uh, you know, in whatever way that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and the Gnostic Gospels take Jesus to a place that no longer makes sense within what is now Orthodox Christianity. And my understanding of Thomas is that Jesus is a little too divine. Mm. So there's this, there's this fine balance that we have to walk when we're, when we're looking at, at who Jesus is in his humanity and his divinity. Uh, and some of them have what we call a low Christology, which means he's a man who becomes God. And especially the synoptics, the first three Gospels, they really emphasize that. Others, like the Gospel of John, has mm-hmm. what we would call a high Christology, where we would consider like God become man. But in all four Gospels, there still is this balance that's held between the humanity and the divinity of Christ. If we lose that balance, what happens at the cross loses its import. If, if Jesus is just a man who dies on the cross, it's tragic, mm. yes. But it's not tragic at that cosmic level. 
if Jesus is fully God who dies sure. on the cross yeah. but doesn't have the humanity, then where's the suffering? Um, where's where's the, the the temptation? Where's you know the the pain? So we have to have that combination of humanity and divinity. And my understanding of the Gospel of Thomas is it goes a little too far with the divinity. Uh, and, and that, I think, is not Thomas, not just Thomas, but the Gnostics in general. They push the divinity of Christ to a place where you okay. lose your humanity and you lose that importance of what happens at the cross. So, Well, that's, the, that's, yeah. a, that's an interesting read. I'm... Uh... Go ahead. I, I answered in a very different way. I mean, oh, one, one thing to note with the Gospel of Thomas is, of course, the character of what's in it. And it's really just, it's 14 sayings of Jesus. It's mm-hmm. just so cursory in terms of of amount of material and understanding. Now, the way those sayings come across certainly indicates some different things about Jesus and relates it to this idea, and I, I dug into the idea of Gnosticism a little bit, oh, online, nice. which is why oh, my good. answer got on about the great light and all the little lights trying to get back to the light and right. yada, oh, yada, Fantastic. Yada. Anyway, it, 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 it wasn't included because I didn't get to it, but it will be included in an upcoming segment. And uh, I, I don't know, I just, um, I feel like as you read it, to me it's so obvious why it's not canon. But on the other hand, it gives me a sense of, personally, I didn't address this Mm. in my response, I do have a little sense of loss Mm. over what made it in and what didn't make it in and what that means to our Christian witness together. Because it just, it says something about how we were shaped and, and granted, you can't be everything. Right, right. Christianity can't be everything. It, It has to, choices were made about what our faith is, just like you're making choices every mm-hmm. day while you're listening to this. Some people are going to listen to this and say, those guys don't even sound like ministers to me. This is the opposite of the faith as I understand it. This is not my experience. This mm-hmm. is not appropriate for me. And mm-hmm. then others are going to say, ah, oh, at last, two, two guys who, who, whose minds work relatively like mine, I can deal with a faith like this. Right, right. So, you know, I, I get all that, but you know, questions about Gnosticism and, and Christian faith are always what-if questions. I, one of the things I like is this, about that question, it also begs the question of looking at the heretics. And, yes. And it's yeah. so important That's to great. study the, those who have been labeled as heretics or heresy, um, because oftentimes they come really close to where we are. Yeah. Um, but diverge in such a way and to say, what is it about their theology that doesn't fit with the main of Christianity. And what does that say mm-hmm. about us? How does that help us learn about who we are? Sure. So, so I think like yeah, with the, with the Gnostics point. of a great light and little light, we might say, boy, that's putting a little too much divinity in us. And, and Perhaps, yeah. Did you hear that, yeah, Quakers? Too much divinity in us. <laughs> not Leave the Quakers alone. They're not here to defend themselves. Okay. Well, that was a great question, Charlie. That was a lot of fun. Here's a, I'm here, glad you liked it. Yeah, that was. It was Thank, yeah, you have good thinking people at your at your Thanks place. Thanks to Sue Roberts. One. She was the one who put the question. Uh, well, I always count on Sue for asking good questions. I've always said that about Sue Roberts. You you could she you said, could ask good questions. Mm-hmm. All right, here's one um, that I, you probably have come across before. But is our God the same as the Mormons, the Muslims, and the Jews? Hmm. 
Yeah. I love this question. Yeah. I got to address this question in uh, interfaith work when I was a chaplain at Brigham and Women's Hospital mm. for a summer. And it was, uh, it's very interesting. <laughs> the answer to this question is very simple, actually. The answer is yes, if you're speaking from the faith that came after. Oh, that's a great answer. <laughs> because so what happens in each successive faith is we pile attributes on the divinity. Mm-hmm. We pile attributes on God that make sense for our interpretation of God that don't necessarily square with the previous attributes. So Christians love to say, our God is Yahweh, the God of the Jews. And Muslims love to say, our mm-hmm. God is the God of Jesus Christ. And then on Mormons like to say, our God is the God of all those. So yeah. it's an additive process. However, ah, there how is. does that feel? Imagine being Jewish mm-hmm. and having a Christian person say, our God is the same God. Well, if you can't imagine what that feels like, then how do you feel when a Muslim person says right. to you, our God is the same. And yeah. if you recognize a hitch in your heart that says, I'm not sure about that, then maybe you're starting to get a sense of what it feels like for Jewish folks to hear us say our God is the same. Mm. So um, I, I am a monotheist. I believe there is one God, and I believe there are many understandings of God. Um, and that we are all just fumbling around to try to understand God better. But here I'll really tip my hand as a Christian pastor. Yeah. I don't believe our understanding of God is complete. <gasps> Gasp. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, there's a party line in my, my United Church of Christ team where we say God is still speaking. Right. And uh, boy, howdy. Yeah, God is still speaking through history, through people, through time, through through nature, through poetry, and we don't have the complete picture of mm-hmm. what God is. We understand God through our particular lens. So I understand that there is one God, and and that's what I hang my hat on. So I am not arguing right. that the Christian God is another God from the God of the Hebrews, and neither am I arguing that the Christian God is another God from the God of, of the Muslims. However, mm-hmm. our understandings are so different that yeah. it, it, it's just, you know, God's self is so multifaceted and, and, and misunderstandable that, that we just, we apprehend the small pieces we can apprehend mm-hmm. and we base our lives on, on that because otherwise it's, it's all too much. Um, although there are faiths that embrace all paths and that's, right. that's right. a different that's approach. So that's, I, I think, you know, my answer was similar. Um, mm. First, I, I love that answer that it, it is for the, people who come next. So Zoroastrians must be just infuriated with the world. That's right. right. (laughs) How dare you, sir? So, and and that's probably also under, it helps me understand why so many people get irritated with the Baha'i, because I think they're the most recent um, iteration. That Um, sounds right to me, but who knows? Yeah. I haven't kept up. So, yeah, I, the, anytime we have questions of, of interfaith, I think we have to take a lot of humility towards it. Uh, and to say, I don't know, I, um, I, I don't know if I, I like your answer. We experience God differently. Mm-hmm. And, and because I'm not a Muslim, I cannot speak 
to their experience of God. I can do comparative religion. I can study some of the writings and the teachings and such, but you cannot compare religions unless you fully live them, and you can't fully live two religions. Nope. You know, just, yeah, we just can't do it. So all I can say is I know about God as revealed through Christ, but I completely agree with you, Troy. That still is a small um, fragment of, of the, the magnitude of who God is. Yeah. And so who are we to say that it's not the same God? I think the similarities in the stories, the similarities um, in, in the understanding of Revelation certainly speaks to that as well. And, and I lean towards saying, you know, if I was pushed against the wall, and please don't push me against the wall. My back hurts. Don't do that. But if you were to, I would say, yeah, uh, Jews, Muslims, Christians, we're all, you know, worshiping that same God. We're Abrahamic, people of the Abrahamic faith. Exactly. But it, um, but yeah. but saying that in certain groups, I I, I wouldn't. I, right. I wouldn't necessarily say that because there are people who truly believe their God is is a unique being that is not, and that we are worshiping a false God. Right. That's, or multi-gods. They, it, we get we get accused of being polytheists yeah, all the time. Yeah, the Trinitarian formulation is difficult for everyone involved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said something said. about you can't you can't live two religions. How do you how would you explain that to a to an interfaith couple who are raising children mm. in two faiths? And I'm not that's saying a, you're wrong. Boy, I'm just that's asking. A great question. I think there's certainly something to be raising children to an appreciation of both. Mm-hmm. Appreciation of the traditions, the cultures, uh, uh, and those tenets of their faith. But I, so this is one of the major reasons I could never really be a Unitarian Universalist. I think there comes a point where you have to choose. Well, Unitarians choose. I guess they do. But being a Baptist, I would say, you know, raise the child to be aware of both. Ch- <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> fair. Fair. Okay. Me too. I'm also not to, a Unitarian Universalist. Yeah, I apologize reasons. to Unitarian Universalist. I will not apologize to the Quakers. No, no, I get it. Your vendetta against them is <laughs> is resplendent today. My, we all have our lines did. in the sand, Jonathan. Um, the things they did to Roger Williams, I will not forget. I have friends who uh, are raising their children in an interfaith household where one parent is Jewish and one is Christian. Mm-hmm. And so they do mm-hmm. all the Jewish festivals. The children are being bar and bat mitzvahed, all that stuff. But then they have a Christmas tree in the house. Um, and, and it creates an internal dialogue for them and tension yeah. as well. But it's, um, you know, I... I think in that household, one parent was raised Christian and one parent was raised Jewish. However, mm. when they go to Jewish services, the, the man puts on the yarmulke, he has mm-hmm. talit, and he follows the prescriptions and That's everything. Um, it's, it's just, uh, it's fascinating how families navigate this yeah. stuff. And it's easy for us sometimes to pronounce things in a certain way that makes sense for our day-to-day faith. Like, yes... You, you can really only live one religion because, frankly, we can't even get people to live the one religion consistently. Right. Right. So <laughs> the idea of adding yeah, more. Yeah, I, I, I guess, yeah, for me, all religions do call for a level of commitment. Yeah. Um, and there are certain, there are cultural trappings to every religion. Yeah. It, and those can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it, so that's fine. And, and I think that's good to teach those and to learn those. Mm-hmm to respect those, to be respectful. But I, I, I believe that if one is to be a true follower of any religion, there comes that point where you have to make that commitment to say, this is the path I'm going to walk. Yeah. 
the I believe the cliche we use is Fisher cut bait. Oh, I've never used yeah. that cliche. Get get on with it. There's another one that's okay. a little more earthy, but we're not going to use that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have not, a question. I'm not, I'm not I have a question. Yeah, go Who ahead. Who would win in a fight, Goku or Meliodas? See, I, all right, I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna call an audible and just say first of all, Charlie, I I previewed one of your earlier services and I want to actually instead of speaking to that one because I don't know who they are. Neither did I. I had I to research. Go to, yeah, I want to go to your other one of Spider Man and Batman. Okay. Okay. And because uh, I saw you you gave that as Fine. a sample. So you're question, giving and that you're actually, giving Japanese anime the slip and you're embracing Western culture yet again. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I, I get it, white man. Okay, fine. You, you know my, my, my discomfort with Japanese yeah, culture. well. No, that's not true at all. Don't, don't get Jonathan don't in a room with a Japanese Quaker. It'll be the end of all creation. <laughs> I'm, sure they are, I'm sure they're very nice. Um, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, you did. So because I don't know them, I think Spider-Man yes. and Batman, it's a really interesting... That's a, that was a really interesting question. Okay. And it's not one I often hear. Usually, it's Batman, Superman, right, the, Spider-Man, Wolverine, like, like those that we stay we stay in our either our Marvel or DC, right? Mm-hmm. And boy, that's tough because Batman is so determined. Yes, he is. Uh, and he would study Spider-Man and learn. Yeah, he would his weaknesses would. and exploit mm. them to a point. He would never go against Spider-Man's family, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think he'd use he, Aunt May as a shield or anything like that. No, no, he has a code. Right. Um, but Spider-Man has a spider sense. He does. Which cannot be discounted. And I'm sure Batman I, probably has tools to mitigate that advantage, but... You can only mitigate it so mm-hmm. much. I think if, if Batman were to use a sleeping gas of sorts, mm-hmm. that might be the best way mm-hmm. to beat Spider-Man. Okay. And and he probably has that. So that's so it would be Batman, but Spider Man would he also has that determination would just keep on fighting. Yeah. And I yeah. I appreciate this question because it's a class war question. Because Bruce Wayne, of course, mm. represents the elite oh, yeah. powerful, the the one percent of the one percent level of wealth, mm-hmm. the ability to go anywhere, do anything and, and afford anything you need. Whereas Right. Spider-Man is the plucky, you know, spoilers, he's Peter Parker, who's a kid from Queens. <gasps> he doesn't right, He doesn't right. have resources. His first outfit, he cobbles together himself. So it's all, it's, it's, a, it's a fun matchup, and we'll just set that aside. It is. Me. And what did you say for the other... Goku for, versus Meliodas? Well, I, I, I recognized that while Meliodas had an incredible level of physical power and could take repeated... What what uh what what are oh, they from? Goku is a Dragon Ball Z fighting hero, oh. and Meliodas okay. is from the anime property The Seven Deadly Sins. And, okay. And okay. but they are I'm they are them. analogs for each other in a way. However, I mm-hmm. came to the sense that while uh, while while Meliodas is very powerful, he's kind of a planetary level of power. He's like he's like the most powerful thing on the planet, whereas Goku has mm. more of an interplanetary like a universal scope of power a world destroying level of power so i give goku the edge over meliodas okay Okay. all right i think we have time for one question left each okay so i'm then let me stay let's stay with me and then we'll go to you so i'm staying with the lighthearted because it was asked the past right and one of my parishioners asked me 
Tell us a scampy thing you did as a kid or adult. A Tell us about a time thing. you got up to some mischief. Oh, oh we're so humanizing the pastor ones. in this kind of question. But here we go. This is the one that. Um, so in high school, mm-hmm. um, I I was a good kid. I never really got in trouble. Uh huh. You know. And my senior year, I'm messing around. We had a courtyard in the middle of the school. Okay. The dining halls there, and the seniors could sit out in the courtyard, and they had these big plate glass Are you windows name surrounding the it. Uh, Shaker High School in Shaker. Latham, New York. Oh, no wonder Shakers, you're so against Quakers. the Quakers. <gasps> yeah, see? We yeah. love Quakers. Yeah. Just, just yeah, we as do. a reminder. Quakers are, this is a people. joke. It's good a running people. joke. Yeah. It is, Go ahead, right? Shaker. We all need our things. So I'm um, messing around with this other guy, and I'm not a huge individual. This guy was probably 6'8 and big <laughs> and listened to... And and he listens to punk mm-hmm. music and still does, so he had the shaved head. He, I mean, he had the skinhead mm-hmm. look. And we're playing this game where he pretends to throw me into the wall. And he does it but flinches at the last minute and I kind of throw myself and it looks good. So we're doing that and he does it into the window and smash. The whole thing just breaks. With your body? With my body. Did you get hurt? So I was, well, first of all, I wanted to say I was defenestrated. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because that's, when we can use that word, we we should. should. I was was very fortunate. I was not injured. Uh, and so he and I went to the principal's office. I bet you did. Uh, and With a yeah. hefty price tag. And, uh, well, so here's what happens. Like, he didn't know me, the principal. He's like, who are you? Right. Like, He's never been in his office. I'm Jonathan. I've been here for four years. One like, of your star's come on. people, sir. Yeah. Not today. So I said to him, I said, look, it, if I can get the money to pay for the window, can you not call my parents? <laughs> you You asked for complicity. From the principal. And he said, sure. Oh, wow. And so for the next week, I went around with a hat and collected over $100 from all the, from students mm-hmm. in the school. And then, you know, and then he and I, the other guy, we raised, we had enough of You're our own Huckleberry money. Huckleberry scraped it. up the money. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, that's cool. How about yourself, Mine, I, And my parents didn't, I should say, my parents didn't know until at least 10 years later, okay. I finally, I told them. Wow. And that was enough to pay for the window. I would have thought that would have been a thousand bucks. It was like, yeah, it's like three or four hundred dollars. Uh, or maybe he was just nice. He'd be like, look at, you know, he's doing Kid what he can. made a good faith. It was a stupid move and he's certainly not going to do it again. Yeah, that's the important thing. Right. So my thing was when I was nine years old, uh, my father had a sand, um, he had a, a bucket of sand in the garage because he would use it to strew over the over the um, driveway when it got icy. And he also parked his truck in the garage, and there was a funnel there. And so my nine-year-old brain put all those (laughs) things together, and I filled the gas tank with sand. (laughs) And I I didn't fill it, but I poured a quantity of sand in there. I don't know why I did it. I wasn't trying to destroy the truck. I didn't think it would, like, the idea of hurting the truck wasn't... I just wanted to watch the sand go down the funnel into... Something in the gas tank was right there. I... Wow. Wasn't your father messing with your van suspension a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> oh, get that so-and-so. No. I don't, I don't know why I did it. That's amazing. It the weirdest Well, thing. at least it wasn't sugar, I guess. Exactly. Right? Isn't sugar yeah, sugar really causes a reaction, but yeah, I, sand doesn't help. No, I, I don't know how he not. got it out. I, I don't have the... There's so many parts of the story yeah. I don't have, including my how motivation. I've got no motivation. It was just wanton, destructive behavior, which I guess sometimes manifests around that age. 
Well, that explains a lot. That you took high school, though. I went further back. I tried to protect myself by, by going further afield. <laughs> all right, so you get... It's one of those... All right, last, last question. question. And this one, I think, I really like this question. Okay, I'm in trouble. Knowing, knowing what you know now, hmm. what would you say to yourself when you first started ministry? Oh, that's really cool. That's sweet. It talks about the. Isn't that a great it question? talks about the vocation of ministry, but I don't have to do any theological heavy lifting. Thank you. Yeah, that's a nice. Because these a, are challenging, nice folks. When you get the question right in the moment, I mean, it's a totally different thing to have time mm-hmm. to research and prepare and everything. I I couldn't have answered the Goku and Meliodas question either if I hadn't no. had time to study. Obviously, yeah, that, that's why I did the audible. Yeah. So, oh, what would I say to myself starting out? Well, <laughs> for one thing, I would say. The training and the skills that you've received in seminary are going to be uh, uh, variously relevant over the course mm. of your career. So there were things we covered. I think back to my classes at Andover Newton all the time where a professor yeah. gave me a certain insight that I rely on to answer questions like these when people come with them or told me things that I think about um just as an example, um, Mark, Mark Heim, once in preparing for a systematic theology class, talked about how the, the cloud of witnesses principle and how when he's standing mm. up to, to prepare to teach a class, he feels this awesome sense of responsibility because he imagines from each student threads floating out and connecting to all wow. the people that we are going to speak to across our lives. And so he takes his work so seriously as an educator because he knows that he's going to talk to one person who's going to talk to thousands of people over the course of their lives. And his witness will be a part of that in some way, whether we accept or reject aspects or parts. Um, And so I have thought about that so many times when I'm in the pulpit, Mm. when I look out at the congregation and I think, who might this individual interact with this week, and and how might they describe this moment to someone else? It's, it's a little daunting, frankly. Yeah, that um, is. I, I, w- I wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, so I guess I would have told myself the things you're going to learn in seminary are going to be variously useful over the course of your career, and none of what you're going to learn is going to prepare you for certain of the crises that you're going to face. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah. uh, just as an example, this didn't happen to me, but, but a friend's, an entire board of deacons quits the church at once. Oh. <laughs> what what, what wow. do you do? Or the church catches on fire, heaven forbid, mm. and you yeah. l- worship in a space adjacent to the church for 10 years before you can rebuild it. Or, or there's right. a pandemic and your church mm-hmm. can't meet anymore. What do you do, right. hotshot? I mean, I would say to myself back then, get ready. It's going to be an incredible journey. You cannot fathom yeah. the depths of the of the grace you're going to feel, and you can't mm-hmm. imagine the mountains. They're going to be so much higher than you expect. That's beautiful. Nice. Thank you for that question. How did you answer it? Yeah, I said, uh, I think what I would have told myself was don't apologize for who you are. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, yeah, we spend, people, a lot yeah. of us spend time doing that. Yeah, and people try to project what they think <laughs> a pastor is supposed to be like. Do they do that? Us. Oh, In real life? Little, just a bit. <laughs> uh, and Or, you know, what you're supposed to be good oh. at uh, or how you're supposed to be. Like, be who right. you are, that God called you 
with your skills and yes. your abilities and own those and because you can't live up to the projections them. people are going to bring on you because no, you for one thing they're projecting themselves when they met that minister mm-hmm. so the minister yeah. you meet when you've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old who embraces you and tells you your family is amazing and, and helps you come in and become a part of the church. And it's awesome. You were in your probably thirties at that time, healthy and full of life. And so all your memories are, are tinted with that lovely glow. And then they try and saddle that on this poor 51 year old guy who's arrived at your congregation who (laughs) may or may not have the same skill set as the other individual. It's yeah, you can't live up to it, and you don't need to, because that's their yeah. baggage. Yeah, it is. It is, and and it's denying the gifts that you have. Yeah, man. Good. Just own, own. Yeah. I'm own so glad gifts. that was the last question. That's a great one. Yeah. Wow, boy, it, it it really does say something that these questions are just so there are so many, and that we can spend so much time speaking yeah. to them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's, yeah, it, said, it really does say a lot. So I'm really glad we did it. I'm glad both churches did yep. it. I, I think it was fruitful for both. It's a new tradition. And I look forward to doing yep. it again. It's yeah, definitely. Transfiguration sure. Sunday. Yeah. So we don't have to just do that thing again of talking about Moses and Elijah one <laughs> more I actually more time. did sneak them in in a little sidebar oh, during did. the service. But, you know, people who have come consistently <laughs> to church should know that yeah. story, certainly. And if you need to review, right. review, please. It's it's yeah. important the way that Jesus reveals his true nature to the disciples, or has his true nature revealed to the disciples in God's presence and right yeah and and the, the the gosh that suffix that God attaches this is my son the beloved listen to him is so important right. for the church and you snuck it in here oh, look at that. too Charlie I, oh still preaching you so and so still preaching <laughs> well let's move to a time oh, of prayer I have I have a prayer today from. Teresa of Avila, mm-hmm. who lived from 1515 to 1582. Wow. That was a good time to be alive. I think that was, I think the birds were just coming out with their first Ooh. hit at that Ooh. time. Sorry, boomers. That was mean. <laughs> was it? Oh, I didn't mean the band. I meant Afro <laughs> birds. <laughs> we're starting to exist. Oh, hey, get this. Do you know anything about. Yeah. Um, Oh, this is a funny sidebar. Hopefully people will appreciate this. But very briefly, do you know anything about ranch dressing? <laughs> Hidden Valley ranch dressing? Uh, oh, man, I feel like I should know something more. When do you think more, that product first appeared on shelves in the United States in a shelf-stable format in the label and packaging oh, that we all know? shelf-stable? I'm going to say the 1950s. Man, you guessed exactly what I would have, what I had guessed when I first heard yeah. this question. Um, no. 1983. When? 83. <laughs> that is when ranch dressing was packaged by the Hidden Valley Ranch Company feels like and appeared on shelves wow. in the United States. Yeah, because it was a it was an actual ranch, Hidden Valley Ranch or Secret Valley Ranch, I think it was actually called, in Alaska. Right. And this ranch this ranch owner made a buttermilk dressing that he added available spices to, and people raved about it, and so he packaged it, and eventually it was bought by no the Clorox kidding. Company. Crack. Oh, Clorox. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, because bleach. They had to bleach it, yeah. Well, there we go. Now let's move into a time of prayer. Okay, so I'll start you in the middle, and then I'll end with Teresa. We'll end it for us. Let's let's pray. God, we're so thankful for the questions that we all have, and especially the ones that just don't give us good answers or easy answers. It's in the struggling. It's in the wondering that we find 
excitement and we find energy and we find yourself revealed. Help us to stay with the questions and whatever, whatever answers we get, that we continue to push and to ask for more. God, our lives are, are so full when we take this time to really work in inquiry and look for you and for our understandings of you. Thank you for all the questions we received, Lord, for all the hearts behind them. Uh, and, and Lord, help us to, to be comfortable in dialogue. Jonathan and I, God, we get up and we preach sometimes at the people, sometimes for them and with them, but just help us to seek out these moments of dialogue and stop assuming things about the faith of others around us. And from Teresa of Avila, let nothing disturb you, nothing frighten you. All things are passing. Patience, endurance, attains all things. One whom God possesses lacks nothing, for God alone suffices. Amen. Thank you. Uh, no, we can't sing that. We don't have the royalties for it. Or we don't have the... I can't pay the royalties for that Fine. song. <laughs> going to issue a pithy response, but I, I decline to do so. I'll let okay. you Thank you for... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was fun. I want to. I hope everyone has a, a good week. I hope that your Lent starts well. I hope your Shrove Tuesday, you eat as much as you can, empty out that I'm pantry. That. <laughs> I'm not doing that. But uh, yeah, what a, it's a good way to start Lent. And next week, we'll see you as we're fully moving into the throes of Indeed. Lent. And and the week of Purim. Thanks for your questions, folks. Remember to keep asking them. Yeah. Peace. Be well. Bye. Kitchen Table Spirituality is a part of the 12 Enough Network. Your hosts were Jonathan Malone, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island, and Charlie Eastman, the pastor of the Pilgrim Congregational Church in Southborough, Massachusetts. You can send your thoughts, comments, ideas, or whatever to 12enough at gmail.com. 12 is written out. Go to the show page and find the show notes for this episode and past episodes at 12enough.com. Please go and rate and like the show on Apple Podcasts or any other place where you find fine podcasts like this one. Thank you very much for listening. Tell us a scampy thing you did as a kid or adult.